John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh! Absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, Frank Mir draws Antonio Tarver in a boxing exhibition coming up next month. Did you know that, Ken Flo? On the Ben Askren undercard? I did not know that. What is going on? Maybe Frank Mir will provide an announcer with another opportunity to go crazy like he did for us against Todd Duffy back in the day. Oh, is it great to see Ken Flo's mug? It's Monday, March 22nd, 2021. It's episode 293 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Teddy Atlas is officially on board now, Ken Flo. Not on board the podcast, per se, as a listener. But he's watching these UFC fight nights every week, and I think he's realizing, like a lot of people, just how much this sport has to offer, even when it's not high-level mixed martial arts across the board. It's right. just the the land of the unpredictable and the weird. And, and once again, a UFC fight night gave us a lot to discuss yeah i like it i like that teddy atlas is uh is watching all these fights uh but you know we don't need him on the podcast necessarily because we got ray longo so whatever we do have ray longo we're going to ask ray longo about this main event between Derek brunson and kevin holland we'll get into it now in headlines and pick up the conversation with ray in about 10 minutes if of course he answers the wake-up call here on a monday morning but it was Derek Brunson by unanimous decision, Ken Flo, over Kevin Holland in what was a 25-minute main event. And there's a lot to dissect when it comes to Kevin Holland's performance. But let us start with the winner, Derek Brunson. And the UFC wins continue to pile up for this guy. And seemed like largely he knew what he had to do to minimize risk in this particular stylistic challenge. And uh, another big win for a good guy, DB. Your thoughts on Brunson Holland? Well, I think you just nailed it uh, there pretty much. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say after that. Brunson had a plan and he executed that plan. You know, he knew and understood that his path to victory or his easiest path to victory was via the takedown and controlling and ground and pound and, and, and kind of hope for a submission. He was close uh, a couple of times, especially with that arm triangle. But, you know, he just fought a smarter fight. Um, you know, the, the, the fifth round aside, uh, for the most part, you know, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He was utilizing his striking to set up his takedowns. And anytime essentially he was in on those legs uh, or in a clinch, he was taking taking down Kevin Holland with relative ease. Holland, um, you know, has a lot of work to do when it comes to his uh, wrestling and to his jujitsu, which I thought that would be better against someone like Brunson. I thought Holland would be able to be at least a little bit more dangerous in the transition. And it seemed like, you know, his game plan basically um, began and ended with trying to be on the feet and trying to look for, you know, um, you know, a, a knockout or at least try to hurt Brunson and outpoint him. Uh, but he really had no game plan, had no ability to stop the takedown game of Derek Brunson. On Twitter at Kenny Florian, hostile Ken Flo tweets this week, by the way. Not a great main event tonight. One thing was clear. Brunson was there to do whatever he had to do to win. Kevin, not so much. Oh, there's the other Ken Flo. We'll get to that, Cody. We'll get to that one. I don't even know which fight. Jump the gun a little bit. My bad, boys. We'll get to that one. That's okay. So, right. I think you hit on a lot of of what I was going to say about the main event. I will get to one of Teddy Atlas's tweets here at Teddy Atlas Real. And he also tweeted, by the way, Muhammad Ali talked but punched more in between syllables. Here was the tweet, though, from Teddy Atlas. Human nature is complex and smart. Everyone feels pressure and doubt, different ways to deal with it. 
Confidence can be deceiving. Act like you don't care. Maybe it's a protective device. Lose. It's not that you're not good enough. You just didn't care. Might be part of the story tonight. And I had a little bit of those emotions watching it insofar as Kevin Holland acting like he doesn't necessarily care, Kenny. He said after the fact, like, he's not here to be world champion. He's here to have fun and he's here to make money. And if people don't like him talking in the middle of the fight, he's not going to change for those people. I just think like you, I wanted to see more offense. I wanted to see more defense, especially when it came to the the defense or lack thereof off of his back. So what were your overall thoughts on the way Kevin Holland approached this fight, the 25 minutes and even the minutes between rounds with Khabib and everything else? I would uh, largely agree with Teddy Atlas on, on his uh, tweet there. I think that Kevin Holland was essentially using all that talk and has been using a lot of that talk as a crutch in a lot of ways. Um, anytime you're feeling that pressure, Anytime you're you're dealing with an opponent that you are probably trying to take them out of their game or lessen their game in some way, shape, or form, talking to them or talking out loud is a great way to both relax yourself and to kind of put your opponent at ease and maybe let his guard down a little bit. Kevin Holland has used that, I guess, with relative success uh, and is continuing to do that. The problem is Derek Brunson is an experienced guy, again, who had a plan. Kevin Holland was talking a lot, but also I feel like he didn't even have a plan. He didn't know what he wanted to do. He didn't try to do anything other than just try to keep Derek Brunson on the outside a little bit. And even then, he just wasn't that successful. So I was surprised he didn't use a whole lot of kicks to, to land down the middle to keep Brunson on the outside. Uh, I was surprised that he wasn't really attacking from his guard as much as we've seen in the past. I was just overall very confused by Kevin Holland. And the problem is, John, you know, it's very telling. If he is saying that he doesn't want to be a champion and his only goal is to have fun, then what are you doing in the UFC, I guess? And, and again, everyone has a different goal and, and has different ambitions for what right. they're doing in professional sports. I, I right. guess we should all respect that. But if he expects to gain fans or gain a following – I think it's going to be difficult to do that. If you're not going somewhere, then who's going to follow you? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, like Dana White isn't in the business of headlining guys who don't want to be champion right. per se. Juxtaposed against Bilal Muhammad a week ago, this guy just lives and breathes the game to such an extent. Now, Kevin Holland does as well. But what do you think Travis Luter thought in the corner when he can't really coach his pupil because Kevin Holland wants to talk to Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dana White. So again, I'm going to call Kevin Holland fights in the future. And I do think that he's a guy at welterweight who could get on a championship trajectory, you know, realized a lot of success at 170 pounds. And, and certainly in that lower half, especially Kenny, he looks like a welterweight to me, but you're not trying to main event guys who aren't, you know, desiring to be UFC champions or contenders. So I don't know if this is just sort of fight talk after the fact, but uh, I don't know. I want to see a little bit more mean and a little bit more output overall from Kevin Holland uh, before I'm, you know, all in again on this guy. I, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'll say this. I think he can be a contender at 185 pounds, but he's not showing it and he's not fulfilling his potential. Kevin Holland is a talented dude. He's a smart guy. Um, I think he's He's got a build and a frame that could definitely support a run at 185 pounds. I'm not sure he's putting in the work that he should. And I would be extremely frustrated if I was in the position of Travis Luter where I can't talk to my fighter. If he's not, if my fighter isn't taking it seriously, then why should I? I mean, that would be my approach anyway. And, and I feel like 
I don't know. I, I think Kevin has a lot of potential. He's not showing it. And uh, it must have been really frustrating on all sides of things. And like you said, not only are the fans going to be kind of confused by Kevin Holland's approach and, and maybe be unwilling to get behind him, but the UFC certainly isn't going to get behind a guy that is openly saying that he doesn't want to be a champion necessarily. Like Kevin Holland right. is still young in his career and can be that. Why is he saying that? And why is he having that approach? I don't know. Maybe it makes him feel more comfortable you know, for each and every fight. Right. He could potentially be one of the better guys in the world in two different divisions. And to your point about putting in the work or the right work, the strength and conditioning, he said to us a couple of fights ago that after that fight, maybe it was his fifth fight in 2020 or his fourth fight in 2020, a year in which of course he went five and oh, he said, I'm going to take some time off a couple months and, and build my frame up to contend in this middleweight division. And obviously that yeah. hasn't happened. And, and maybe you look at Derek Brunson as not being this, Paulo Costa sized middleweight, and you think maybe size is not going to be an issue, but I don't know, man. I just wasn't seeing anything resembling urgency off of his back. And uh, I don't know, like it does take energy and work from your diaphragm to talk all the time when you could be doing something that's fighting. I don't know. It was very weird to watch. Um, well, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, did we, was that the same guy that fought Jacare? I mean, he was talking to Jacare, but he was actually trying to hurt Jacare. It didn't seem like he was trying to hurt Derek Brunson. It seemed like, yeah, he was in there to do a little too much fun. Now, here's the problem. If Kevin Holland went in there and got into the ring with someone like a even a Marvin Vittori or, you know, forget about guys like Israel Adesanya, that are damn assassins, right, right. he will outright hurt you and you might not be the same after but if you fight a guy like a marvin vittori who is in there to do war i mean that's the kind of fight that you know you could be having fun out there and that guy across from you in the octagon is trying to take your head off yeah. and trying to uh make you different than you were before uh those are the fights that you can get really injured in so yeah you can, yeah, have, I love you it. can have the approach that you're having fun but remember you are fighting in the ufc's octagon it's no joke I like that you injected Marvin Vittori's name into the conversation because I think that really is the opponent, right? That's the guy is that's going to force you to to not right. talk and fight uh, for 25 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. See, that's why Ken Flo owns 51% of the business, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just bringing it with the Marvin Vittori stuff. So for Derek Brunson, Kenny, obviously he has had a fight against the undisputed UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya. It's four consecutive wins, and maybe Paulo Costa will be next. I know Kevin Holland has intimated a potential move back down to 70. I, I think Cody told me he mentioned the name Bilal Muhammad. But for Derek Brunson, you know, maybe it'll be Paulo Costa, who is obviously out of the Robert Whitaker fight now. But uh, again, you know, Brunson, 36, 37 years old, super relevant fighter. And when you talk about the winningest middleweights, I know the Brits don't like when I use the word winningest, but when you talk about the middleweights in UFC history who have won the most, the Bispings of the world, Derek Brunson's in that conversation and, and deserves to be there. Absolutely. Brunson's been doing a, a great job, and, and he he knows himself now. You see a certain confidence in him that um, he didn't really have before, I think. Uh, and he did a great job here in, in a main event. Um, he has been kind of the measuring stick for that division, for better or worse. And if you, if you can't beat Derek Brunson – then you're probably not going to be elite. But Derek Brunson has proved to be, you know, top in the world in that division and, and continuing to do so at that age. That's the, very impressive. Don't call him a gatekeeper. Derek Brunson moving on up at 185 pounds. What did you make of Grant Dawson? Did you see that prelim fight against Leonardo I Santos? 
I did. Just ridiculous. I was I was so close to looking oh. like a hero with my pick, John. You were. You were. You know, man. So I was talking. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he said, he said it perfectly. He said, Leo Santos had to do anything other than that in the last two seconds of the yeah. fight, and he was going to win. Right. Dawson was winning that third round, but Leo Santos again seemingly was winning those first two rounds and doing a great job. The last two seconds, he decides to entangle the leg. He does not defend himself properly. Grant Dawson gets to his head and smashes it into the canvas, getting a knockout with two seconds left in the fight. You got to love it. Grant Dawson answered our questions on what would happen if he was going to encounter adversity in the octagon against a veteran. This was a great moment for him and something that he will probably point to as evidence that he can be one of the one of the best in that division. Um, I think he showed some weakness and some vulnerabilities in that fight, certainly, but things that he will he will most certainly work on to get better and improve. So what a win, what a comeback. Uh, it, it was shocking. It was shocking because Leo Santos was looking great. But then, again, it's just another reminder in the sport. It is not over until the bell rings, man. Crazy shit happens in this sport all the time. I know Joe Rogan did a podcast with Leon Edwards recently and sort of suggested that Bilal and Leon run it back because crazy shit happens in fights all the time. And uh, you just never know what is going to happen in a fight. And Grant Dawson gets a huge win here at 155 pounds. For for Leo Santos, this has to sting at 41 years of age. And injuries are a big reason why he never made that that championship run. And I think that'll pro- this will probably put an end to it, even though he hadn't lost in forever going into this fight. But you're right. Likely, Grant Dawson was two rounds down. And the hammer fist heard around the fucking world to uh, – to separate Leo Santos from unconsciousness and stop his unbeaten streak there. All right, a lot more to get to on UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Holland, including a big win for Max Griffin in the co-main event. Ken Flo's all aboard the Adrian Yanez train as well. But we got to get to Ray Longo. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. As you were saying, were you going to take a little shot before we got started? What's up, man? Your old business today, man. Well, you and Ken Flo were having an enjoyable. Did you get get jealous? Tell me the truth. No, I did not. I did not. I sense jealousy in there. I haven't been jealous since I was like a high school boyfriend when I was 16 years old. No, we just, you know, we got a couple other guests coming up on the program. I mean, nobody as important as you, but somebody's got to keep the train on the proverbial track, so to speak, and make sure that we hit our next guest at the bottom of the hour. Not even a train tracks, the proverbial tracks. (laughs) The train tracks, the train tracks. So I just figured that uh, there was a lot of Saul Solis love going on between you guys. What were you talking about? Shout out to Saul Solis, man. I, I, you know, I think he was a a pioneer of the game. I'm glad to see... uh, He's back with this kid, Giannis, man, who looked absolutely fantastic, oh. man. That's, that's how to stay in the pocket and make somebody pay for trying to hit you. <laughs> that was crazy. But uh, I don't know. Grab if you back. can get Ken Flo to tweet about you in 2021, you're doing something right. Wow. Ken Flo, your thoughts on Adrian Giannis, uh knockout of Gustavo Lopez there on the main card? 
cold-blooded. Yeah, no, he's a cold-blooded killer, man. He looked phenomenal. Um, First of all, just the nuances of that's what everybody wants to do with their striking mixed martial arts and just isn't capable of doing. Yanez is just always out of range when 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 you are trying to hit him and always in range when he wants to hit you. He was efficient. I would love to see his strike percentage for that fight because it seemed like everything when he decided to throw – he was landing. He was beating up the body. He was going upstairs. He was sharp. He was precise. Um, he took little to no damage that fight, mixing it up nice and relaxed. And, oh. you know, they were comparing him to to like a mini Masvidal. I think that's relatively accurate. But uh, Giannis is his own kind of beast, man. This kid is something to watch, man. And then the composure and and how relaxed he was. And even how stoic he was, even after he won, it was like, he's there to do business, man. He's not there to mess around. He has a focus that is unlike a lot of people in the UFC. And if he continues on this trajectory, I think there's a star in the making there. And and again, how good is that division at 135 pounds? That that division is just just riddled with killers, man. Unbelievable. Yeah, just adding another guy who... Not even in the top, whatever, wherever the heck he lands. But man, there's a guy coming up that will be a problem for everybody. And and unlike some guys on this card, he got Joe Rogan's message: you don't play games in the octagon. Unlike some other guys who just never got the memo, <laughs> they never got it. <laughs> hey, so first thing, Joe, I can't tell you how many Ray Longo minute uh, sweatshirts I've been seeing either. Really. Well, I can't tell you because I haven't seen it. All the money, I didn't think sales were that good. No, that's good. That's good. Well, I got to buy one. I got to buy one. I'm wearing my Frankie Edgar t-shirt today. Thanks to uh, Frankie and Renee. Can't go wrong back in the Iron Army, but it seemed like you were maybe alluding to one Kevin Holland. Safe wow. to say Adrian Yanez a little bit more focused on UFC Golden yeah. Glory than Kevin Holland at this point in time, Ray, or what? Uh... Yeah, man, I tell you, like that, Kevin. That that was hard to watch for me. It really was. I just that was just too. You know, it's all good until that happens. You know, what I mean, like the trash talk. Perfectly the- put. I, exactly right. You know, it's all good until that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I and I honestly, man, I thought like he. I thought he was more calculated. I thought like in three or four, he was going to start turning it on and picking it up. But just man, just. It, I don't know that 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 really was a rough fight to watch. I did not enjoy that one bit. Just uh, you know, and hats off to Brunson for having to deal with him, and hats off to his corner because was there any corner? Was there anything? I mean, he's talking to people around. I mean, a little weird. I mean, see, look, he seems like a good guy. It's not, it's not that, but that that's got to be a red flag. No, and he, and a super talented dude. I mean, super talented. But Ray, I agree, man. L- listen, what. It seems like, though, that Kevin probably told his corner, listen, I got this. I don't need to hear any advice. Let me do what I do. What will you do as a coach in that kind of situation? Would you even coach a guy that's kind of like, hey, this is kind of my approach. Let me do what I do. Would you allow that as a corner? Would you even corner a guy? I'm not sure I would, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really not sure. I know. One time years ago, I, I literally left the corner on a guy like that. I just said, I'm, I'm out of here. This is just crazy. But the guy definitely wasn't as talented as Kevin Holland. Normally what I do in situations like that for me, I'm like, all right, look, I'll, I'm going to do this with you. But the second it goes south, 
then you got to listen or I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So if it's working, I'm like, you know what, man, if it ain't fixed, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'll go right. with it. I, I, I do believe in that too. But the second this happens, <clears throat> you're either listening or I just, why it's uh, that, that can't be fun to be there. Kenny. Right. I mean, Oh, Ken Flo would be long gone. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If Kurt Pellegrino started like talking to the fans in between rounds, he'd come back to the stool. Ken Flo would be fucking long gone. Hey, Kurt, long gone. Kurt, Kurt Pellegrino can talk though. Yeah, he can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can talk during that, but Ken Pellegrino, he can hold his own in the talking arena. I haven't yeah. seen him in years, but I'm sure uh, he's still going strong. But yeah. if we had fans in the building, Kevin Holland wouldn't have been afforded the opportunity to even start up these conversations. And then maybe he's sitting on the stool, a good pupil listening to Travis Luter. But what is going through Travis Luter's mind, Ray, right? When Kevin is doing this, I mean, to your guys's point, maybe there was some pre-fight conversation. Look, I'm going to have fun guys, but they were deferential and kind of laid back. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there weren't, very many strong ad adjustments made by that team during the fight either. So I don't know, man, I didn't yeah. enjoy watching this on Sunday morning. That's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I'm sure Travis Luda was in his head. He was just saying he was praying that he would just catch him with something and knock him out. And then it erases everything. Then it's all good. Right. You know, it's, if he would have gotten a win in like round three uh, or four, you know, and it was almost like it was premeditated that, that I think that's what he was hoping for, that he would catch him, obviously not get taken down. But there was just like no, no effort to avoid the clinch. He was falling into him. It, and it was clear anytime he hit him, he hurt him. Yeah, that, that's, just, that's a right, frustrating right. fight. Uh, and on any level, that's got to be frustrating. I don't care yeah, who you are. Yeah, smacked him in round oh. two. And again, yeah. you know, Derek Brunson, since moving to Sanford MMA, undefeated again we could do 20 minutes on Derek Brunson but there's just a lot yeah. more I feel to discuss on the Kevin Holland side we were talking about Grant Dawson and Leonardo Santos before you joined us with one second to go Ken Flo and I saw two seconds on the clock but it goes into the books at 459 for Grant Dawson over Leonardo Santos and I want to pull up the scorecards because round two was close if memory serves round one not so much but here are your judges scorecards if you are watching us on YouTube Grant Dawson was up 20 to 18 on Tony Weeks's card. I didn't see round one for Grant Dawson. I know James Krause, who did a great job in the corner, Ken Flo, was telling Grant, we don't know what the hell those scorecards say. But two of three judges, Junichiro Camillo, also had it 2-0 for uh, – for Grant Dawson and then 1-1 from Dave Hagan. So, uh, hey, I guess Grant Dawson didn't need the finish after all, Ken Flo. Wow. Yeah, uh, I am absolutely shocked. I thought Leo Santos was winning that whole fight. Yeah. That is scary to me. And it would have been <laughs> almost a robbery. I mean, it was bad. Some of those rounds were close, but come on, man. I don't know. But either way, it didn't matter. Grant Dawson got the knockout win. But um, Cody, good job on that, man. Uh, I, I had no idea that the judges had Grant Dawson winning that fight. I don't I think Grant Dawson would probably disagree with those guys. Like that's crazy. I don't know. I think they did. I think, yeah. uh, you know, listen, whatever the hell Krause is doing, he's doing a great job because this is like the second or third time where his guy has been down two rounds where he's really rallied that guy to not stop in the third round. I think uh, Marquez, the Cuban dude, remember he got the finish on somebody who was clearly losing the fight. And now this guy, I had him down two rounds. I yeah. mean, uh, I, I don't know what the judges were looking at, but – Krause, I think, did it again. He said, you need a finish in this in this round. And they, 
And man, not only did he get it, he got it with one or two seconds to go. So you haven't heard about our new segment on the Anakin Florian podcast, Krause's Corner. It debuts next week. It's our, oh. <laughs> it's our weekly segment with uh, our 2020 Anakin Florian podcast coach of the year, James Krause. No. <laughs> Of course not, Ray. It's all about you. This is your show. I am out of my mind. I am out of my fucking skull. Does your mug say Ray Longo? Oh, no. That's somebody else. They turn that around Ah. for His mug says Ray Longo. That was made by a student, but thank you very much for the show. All right. Hey. All right. So uh, Brunson Holland, we kind of hit on. I want to – can I just read this Teddy Atlas tweet to to Ray really quickly, Ken, if you don't mind? Human nature is complex and smart. Everyone feels pressure and doubt, different ways to deal with it. Confidence can be deceiving. Act like you don't care. Maybe it's a protective device. Lose. It's not that you're not good enough. You just didn't care. Might be part of the story tonight. That was Teddy Atlas's response on Brunson Holland. And I feel like there's a lot in there that I agree with that you sort of, it's, you know, I've been on a basketball court at times where maybe I I cared, but I pretended to not care. I think we can all draw parallels in our athletic career or maybe the good athletes can't but i'll all right real quick so i was playing lawrence academy in high school ken flow and they had these big guards they could all shoot and i'm like going into this game like being a fucking nice guy to these guys because i know they can get their shot off over me and it's going to be water i know i can't get my shot off against these guys because i'm too fat and slow so i'm like kissing their ass when i'm playing defense you know my head's not the fucking game and for whatever reason uh, Kevin Holland's head was not in the game. What'd you make of what Teddy Atlas had to say about maybe this sort of giving off a vibe that you don't really care about the result? Uh, but listen, I think he's right. I think it's similar, Kenny, to when you're piecing the guy up in sparring and he starts correcting you on what you're doing wrong. Exactly. Ah, you know what I mean? Exactly. I the, the oh, yeah, nice tap. That was good. No, no. You, yeah, no but when you, you get the submission, make sure you squeeze. Good, good. That's it. Yeah. So we've, we've seen that how many times? Seriously. Yeah. And, those, yeah. and those, guys, those guys, John, normally don't make it in the gym. They get weeded out like real right. quick. Right. Uh, so right. I think it's a, to me, it's a variation of that. Where I tell you, look, it's it's it, there's a couple of funny things here. <clears throat> First off, Derek Bronson's a top middleweight, no doubt, and basically couldn't do anything to a guy that laughed at him for 25 minutes. I mean, that's the other thing. What did he do? You know, like he didn't really inflict any damage. The guy just that's Holland a, didn't have a scratch on. Yeah, right. So you know, he maybe took a couple of elbows on the floor, but. You know, so that's one thing is that I think that might be a positive for Holland. You really couldn't get rid of the guy. So even uh, as much as we're bullshitting and, you know, he was goofing around. It's a great point. I mean, you know, I, you know it's almost I, I can I, I compare that to, you know, when you're drunk and you get in a car crash, you don't really get hurt. You're just bouncing around and it kind of saves you. And I think he's so loosey goosey that it helps him, you know, deal with the uh, with the pressure. So I think. Teddy Atlas is right on. It's almost maybe that was kind of nicely put. He probably, I'm sure, if you got him alone, he'd tell you exactly what he thought, you know, of the guy. But I think he he articulated that nice. But I think that's a case of uh, I, I agree with him. I, I see it in different ways, uh, like we yeah. said at the beginning. But uh, you know, I, I look at it on the other end too, man. It, you know, he basically laughed at a guy who's trying to kill him. Right, the guy's trying right. to knock him out and submit him. 
and this guy's laughing at you for 25 minutes. That's got to be frustrating too. Yeah. You I know? know we've, we've hammered this, but it just feels like such a missed opportunity, Kenny, right? Uh, Five and zero oh in 2020, he sets himself up for these big fights that can really make life a lot of fun. If you win some of them, you know, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that he beats Derek Brunson and potentially gets a title fight here in 2021. Exactly. And again, that knockout could have materialized in round two. And then the whole narrative is different, but I don't know. I, this is the one that got away. If you're, if you're Kevin Hall. I think that's what kind of made me so irritated watching it because I mean, how many 185ers would have loved to replace Kevin Holland in that situation, being in that main event, having all those viewers and you see a guy who's not really taking it so seriously or kind of joking around and then not even putting in the work to actually try to get the result. That's, that was the thing. It's one thing if you are talking, but you're out there actively trying to destroy that guy across it looked like Kevin Holland was talking and sparring. Derek Brunson, maybe he wasn't so effective, but Derek Brunson was there to win, and he was oh, there. Whatever. To win. So Kevin Holland, just, that combination kind of is really what was so irritating, and we had to see that for 25 minutes. So yeah. it was a lot for me. Look, it's not a knock on Brunson. I'm just making an observation that even this guy joking around, he he comes out of there and he's. He's talking like nothing even happened when he was talking to Megan Olive. He was saying maybe yeah. the weight will go down to 170 or whatever. Look, obviously, I think there's not nobody, I don't think anybody watching couldn't see a way that Holland wins that fight probably easy. You know what yeah. I mean? So that I think that's the frustrating part is like, you know, the guy had the skill set to do. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, look, he was lacking in a couple of places, but you saw he had the athleticism. Uh, to do more than what he did. And he just, but that's who he is, right? I mean, he's been doing this, right? right. I, I think, I think it just, you know, it's almost like you put a gun in a monkey's hand and he shoots somebody. Who do you, yeah. who do you blame? Like right. you knew what you were getting going in there, just that he's been doing so well and finishing people that, uh, you know, that it was okay. This one just wasn't okay. It was just too long and it was bad. All right, I want to get to Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler oh, and the boy, newly I announced. My dog is. Is that your stomach or your dog? <laughs> I think she. What are you do? Look, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, come on! Well, I thought I thought it was going to be like a pit bull or a Rottweiler or Takane yeah. Corso. Buddy, buddy. Oh, okay. Come dog on. can be here for the entire segment. No cats allowed, incidentally, dog. on the Anakin Florian podcast. But dogs are welcome. I don't know. It's the fresh. She's always here. Every show, but this is the first time. How about know, that? I think she's a Kevin Holland fan, and she's actually pissed off. But there are like, a lot of those out there, a lot of Kevin Holland fans out there. I do want to get to Chandler and Oliveira, but before we get there, Ken Flo, did you see uh, Julia Stoliarenko uh, faint into the backdrop at the weigh-in on Friday? I did. I saw the video of it. Man, that, that was hard to watch. You know, uh, she was clearly trying her best to keep it together on the scale. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of feeling like that uh, for a couple of weigh-ins, but it's hard. It's tough. And again, it, it was kind of the hard visual that a lot of people needed to see in some ways to see what these guys and what these uh, fighters are doing to try to make weight. Um, I, I hope she's okay. It seems like she is and, and, and she's going to be fine, but Certainly her body was not happy and uh, fainting like that at that time was tough. It, it was tough to watch and it's tough for her who had she had clearly worked so hard to make the weight and uh, to do what she needed to do in camp to get this fight going. And 
she wasn't able to perform, which 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 was very unfortunate. Ray, you coaches are put in a lot of hard situations, but is there anybody out there who can like be the cooler head and like not put the athlete on the scale again or be there to help her getting off the scale? It's like I'm watching this all play out from afar. And I'm thinking, man, even if I was 15 feet away with a mask on, I would have had this motivation to run up on stage to try to help her. But yeah. I guess they decided that she should weigh. And again, thankfully, she didn't fight. I'll tell you, you know, that, you know, I, I don't know. Listen, why, why put her on the scale again after the first time? I mean, somebody would have to explain that to me. But, uh, yeah, that was rough. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you, to go down the second time really just, you know, fortifies the first, you know, the first time was wrong. Right, you know? right. So, uh, man. Not good, not good. Yeah. All right. I think it's May 15th, UFC 262, Houston, Texas. So much news has broken since we were last on the air. April 24th, right? Masvidal Usman 2, live from Jacksonville, Florida. Four and a half hour drive from right where I am right now. We'll rent a car. We'll make it to Jacksonville. But May 15th, announced a couple days ago, Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler for the undisputed UFC lightweight championship. We'll get Ken Flo's thoughts on this, and then, Ray, we will have you piggyback uh, as you see fit. But a lot of people have talked about Dustin Poirier and a meritocracy being the most deserving guy coming off not just a win over Dan Hooker, who Chandler beat, but also a win over Conor McGregor, the UFC body of work, Kenny, Hall of Fame stuff for Poirier. But ultimately, they needed this title fight in eight weeks. Who knows if there's... A, a rematch clause or a trilogy clause for Poirier and McGregor, but ultimately it's going to be Charles Oliveira with that extended winning streak against Michael Chandler, who's one to know in the UFC and they will fight for the undisputed title. Listen, you know, th this one's a tough one for me because, you know, clearly Dustin Poirier is a guy who deserves to be there. Michael Chandler has been a fantastic fighter, a, a champion in another organization did tremendous work in his UFC debut does he deserve it over a guy like a Poirier? No, um, but that's not the way the fight game goes. There are politics, there are business decisions that are made, and I would maybe go even further. And, and you know, there's going to be a lot of people who criticize this decision, but I guarantee you, if you ask Poirier what he would rather do, fight Conor McGregor for several million dollars or get the belt and, you know, win it against someone like Oliveira, to me, I think, the belt isn't going anywhere. I think Poirier is probably confident enough that he can get it done the third time against Conor McGregor, get his money, and then fight for the belt, and then maybe say goodbye. Poirier has been doing this a whole uh, – uh, like he's been fighting since what? He's a teenager? Oh, and yeah. a lot of these guys, whether you're a champion or not, don't get a chance to make millions of dollars and set their family up to be fine for maybe their generation and the generation after theirs. Very few fighters have that ability to set their family up forever. Dustin Poirier, perhaps in his last fight, was able to do it and could do it and, and further solidify that with a fight against Conor McGregor. Um, and so I think that uh, this is what every fighter wants. Yes, they want to be world champion. Poirier already has a belt. But I think that he would probably rather see his bank account fattened more than anything else. My opinion. Yeah. And I and I think people I think Poirier definitely is the people's champ at this point, right? I don't I don't, you know, so I think he's been like Kenny's uh maybe he didn't say, but uh, he's been around so long. I don't I don't think I don't think that's a priority right now. I think he already was the champ or the interim champ and 
he's probably gotten over that and again to to get a big money fight over that and you know i, I think it's probably the way to go like kenny said but uh kind of like a kangaroo court but you know in the same same sense i'm happy for chandler too man here's a guy how lucky is this guy man he was with bellator you don't really see him fighting that often over there now he comes over he's a great guy uh he goes to dubai or wherever to make the weight right for that to fill in if he has to and then he gets right. a shot takes the best makes the best of that opportunity definitely couldn't have done any better against a really tough guy that nobody's gotten rid of and uh he's gonna be uh he's got a good shot of being the uh ufc uh you know lightweight champ what a dream what a what a dream story this is you know i don't know if dustin poirier was offered a title fight on may 15th against charles Oliveira. i'm guessing he was not i'm guessing that they are going to do the trilogy fight it's interesting right because i do believe that there's a big part of dustin that wants to fight for that undisputed title kenny and he want he mentioned charles Oliveira right after the connor win so part of me does wonder if he was offered the Oliveira fight if he would have maybe accepted it but uh as far as the fight itself is concerned you know again and people are going to have opinions right if if they made Connor and Dustin a third time, Kenny, for the undisputed lightweight title, people would cry foul and say that Connor's not deserving right now. Mm-hmm. People even are suggesting that Charles Oliveira is not worthy because of his strength of schedule, despite the fact that he's won, I think, eight in a row at 155 pounds. So what do you think about this fight uh, and the fact that Charles Oliveira is about a minus 175 favorite right now to become the UFC lightweight champion? I, I think it's an excellent fight. I do think that he poses a lot of problems for Michael Chandler, who – you know, uh, has done some great work by taking his opponents down and pounding them out. I think he's going to think twice about doing that against someone like a Charles Oliveira. Also, Oliveira isn't an easy guy to deal with on the feet these days. So I think Oliveira may not have the strength of schedule uh, that, say, other guys have, but it is going to still give him a tremendous amount of confidence and momentum and experience heading into this fight against Chandler. So this is not an easy fight for either guy. I'm really curious to see how it goes down. I'm still intrigued by it. Um, people will still tune in, especially given, you know, Oliveira and Chandler. Both of these guys took advantage of the spotlight. I mean, Oliveira could not have fought a better fight against Tony Ferguson. And the same can be said for, for Chandler, who came in in his USC debut and beat a very different guy, a very difficult guy. Um, who, who a lot, you know, I thought he was going to be a, a tough, tough out for, for Chandler based on his, his yeah. height, his reach, all that yeah, stuff. So definitely. anyways, you know, it's going to be an awesome fight. I think this is a, a great matchup. Um, and I think Poirier is going to make significantly more money in his match against McGregor than he would right, right, in the right. title fight to be right. a world champion in the UFC. So everybody kind of wins here. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be an, uh, this is an interesting fight. Look, I think Chandler, physically fit mentally very strong i think you got to kill him to get rid of him i kind of go back to felder versus Oliveira, where felder just really broke him like just with physicality that's what scares me in this fight chandler can do that probably for 50 minutes straight you know what i mean he's physically i don't think there's a better specimen than that he's got the wrestling pedigree obviously he hits hard this this is a this is a really good fight. But John, getting back to your point, they could have had Dustin fight either of these two guys <clears throat> with the you know maybe hoping that he would win and then do the McGregor fight for the title. I think would even be bigger, right? Uh, 
I'm saying they offered the, I, my guess would be they did offer the fight to Dustin and he didn't want it uh, for whatever reason. You know, he's busy. He's got his things going on. He just made a shitload of money. He's riding high. And he, and, and like Kenny said, he'll take that third fight, but there's nothing wrong with having him fight for that title. If he wins, then you have a huge fight for the title with McGregor. I would think that's what even McGregor wants. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that would be the route to go. No, that all makes sense. And I do believe if they said, hey, Dustin, eight weeks, Houston, Texas, Michael Chandler, he's going to say no because he was very specific with the names he mentioned after beating Connor and the names he didn't mention. And he just didn't believe that a guy who was one to know in the UFC was worthy of an undisputed championship opportunity. But that's exactly what is going Michael Chandler's way. Uh, Ray, before we get you out of here. Jorge Masvidal is getting another shot at Kamar Usman April 24th. But what do you guys think about fans, by the way? 15,000 strong, Jacksonville, Florida. Going to be wild. I better get a fucking vaccination soon here. Uh, I think that's the key. Super spreader event, <laughs> April 24th. That's what Weidman told me. He goes, oh, it's going to be history. I oh, go, that's right. You got to be there. <laughs> I go, uh-huh. history? I might as well stick my head in a COVID beehive. What are you <laughs> what kind of history is that? No, I think you're right, John. I, I need a – even though I think my antibodies hold up till somewhere in April maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to talk to I, Dr. I, Florian about expediting a Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccination for the uh, the play-by-play announcer here. That sounds good. But uh, uh, I'll be getting there early. So uh, what part of Florida you live? I'm just going to fly right there. <laughs> hey, if you want to accompany me on the drive, you fly into <laughs> West Palm Beach or Fort Lauderdale or Miami. I will pick your ass up and we will drive to Jacksonville together. I tell you, I, I, I count on that. I'm just, just gonna, don't bring any smelly hockey pads. I'm gonna, <laughs> smelly hockey pads. I mean, MMA equipment or whatever Ooh, you got. Is this guy? <laughs> what a, uh, where are we going to park the car? You fucking pack the car and have a jet. All right. That's the Ray Longo minute. Uh, Anything else before we let you fly? uh, Anything? I don't even know. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah. We'll (laughs) see a couple weeks removed from Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. And we have Bilal and Leon Edwards and all that controversy. And then Kevin Holland and Derek Brunson. Mixed martial arts, man. It's just the the gift that keeps on giving, you know? It's unbelievable. The, 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 uh, The hatred slowed down. A lot, so that's good. good. What? Good. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was good. The haters, was, they're getting off the game. The haters are getting off the game. I, I, I don't even. Know, when was that fight? Two weeks ago. Uh, no. <laughs> my my <laughs> brain is scrambled too. It yeah. is. It is. It's brutal. Um, every day's running into the and the, the next day. It's literally crazy. But yeah. uh, but somebody did. I'll tell you a funny story. Somebody DM me. They said, "Do you teach acting classes?" At the gym. So I never respond to anything, but I, I just couldn't control myself. I said, oh, yeah, definitely uh, call the gym and ask for Lee Strasberg. And <laughs> I, well, nobody knew what the fuck I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Ray, if you're missing any of the insults, just let us know. We'll insult you for the next few weeks. No, no, no. Yeah. Seriously, you can't penetrate me at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm like Teflon. You are. Exactly. It's totally impossible, I'm going to say. <laughs> Do you miss your hair? No. Yeah. I mean, I don't miss looking at that fucking dirty <laughs> mop. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, we got to go, Raymond. Anything else, buddy? We got to go. It. We love you so much. Thanks for being a part of the show coming up on 300 episodes. I look forward to seeing you next month. And, uh, oh, Stipe Francis, very close fight. I Well, I, I know you're picking Stipe. He's a slight underdog right now. What are your thoughts on the heavyweight championship coming up here in five days? 
And I think the more they make him an underdog, the more he finds a way to win. That's what I think. I think he's that guy. Uh, I, 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 I think it'll be a, I mean, I'm hoping it's a repeat of the first fight. Yeah. I think that's going to be the uh, same thing, but, uh, there is not a more scary, dangerous guy than Francis Ngano. So, uh, hats off to Stipe. I wish him the best. And I, I think he's, uh, I think he gets it done again. I'm good with any result as long as it's not like an inadvertent eye poke in round one or like oh, an illegal man. knee or something. Oh, you know. Oh, all right, Raymond. Thanks for the uh, the contribution, and uh, we will talk to you next week. All right, guys. Take it easy. There he is, the Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And I'm wondering if Cody will let me do the pronunciation of the week right now. I really want to do it. This man is 14 and four as a professional. Fights out of Poland, Cody Merrow. It's good to see you. Where many, by the way, of our pronunciation of the week entries have come from. This fighter, though, this weekend trying to avoid a third straight loss, he draws Modestus Bukowskis at the UFC's light heavyweight division. Cody, thanks for uh, for making the show look exponentially better just by showing up. How do you pronounce oh, this fighter's well, name, well. though? <laughs> See, How do you, you took pronounce the win- this guy's name, bro? You took the wind right out of my sails because that's what I was going to say. I'm coming out. I'm looking at Ian right here looking so mad at me because I'm taking his spot. I'm be quick, Ian. Don't worry. I believe the fighter you're speaking of is Michal Oleksaychuk. So I have the pronunciation file. Here we go, Kenny. How did I do? Michal Lord Oleksaychuk. Michal Lord Oleksaychuk. That's close. He says like a chuk at the end. Right. Michal Lord Oleksaychuk. So I was going to just reset the standings and give Cody one and oh, almost regardless because of the whole Seattle gone debacle several right. months ago. I mean, it's a no for me, you know, it's Michal Oleksajuk. It's not Oleksajuk, it's Shajuk. So, uh, syllable syllabic emphasis was pretty good, but that's Owen one for me. Ken Flo, what do you think? Good enough for you. Hey, you I'll, give I'll, that's fine. That's fine. I like Cody. So I just feel bad. For him. <laughs> I'd like to see him start the year one and oh, but, uh, all right, that's fine. We'll go. Oh, and one, it will make him stronger. He'll have to battle back from adversity. Hey, we either win or we learn, but I, I'm not on here. I'm not on here for my pronunciation. That's why we have you, Kenny. I'm here for my stunning. Good luck. But with that, with that, I know we got to get some picks. So I'm going to get out of here. John. All right. All right, Cody's out of here. And see, I'm trying to pay you the compliments so you don't have to compliment yourself, brother. That's what I'm here for. All right, Ian <laughs> Parker is waiting in the wings. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, the tournament's in full swing and the action has not disappointed, although I can tell you my account hurting after the opening weekend. I had Illinois winning the whole thing and they got bounced in the second round. Oral Roberts, by the way, a 15 seed has made me some money. They're off to the Sweet 16. But DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of it all with an incredible proposition. Listen to this. You bet $1 on any tournament game. And if your team wins, you win $100. It is that simple. 100 to 1 odds, folks. Any college basketball team that is still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100, all it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. 
Kind of wish I was a new customer at DraftKings Sportsbook, but don't worry if college basketball is not for you. DraftKings Sportsbook has 101 odds on select fighters as well for this weekend's UFC 260 pay-per-view event. And DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code AFPOD when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That is code AFPOD to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, we now welcome in the duck at Ian Parker MMA. Not much to update on the standings, fellas, with all those fight cancellations. Brad Riddell and Gregor Gillespie going away. Tied to Ivasa losing his opponent. But Ryan Tracy, repping Team Anik, did win the week. It was 1-0, so the overall lead is 31-27 to as we come up on UFC 260. Miocic versus Nganu 2. And Ian Parker, it's nice to see you. So April 24th, Jacksonville, Florida. You making the short drive from, from the Palace in Parkland or what? No. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the uh, the walk from my kitchen table to my my couch and have the best seat in the house and uh, right. not play uh, play a little uh, Russian roulette. Russian roulette. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know. By the way, I will say that ad read you just did was a work of art. You remind me of the Hot Wheels uh, guy back in the day, the micro machines. Yeah, you used to, thank you. Used you. To go, you you uh, and the mustache too. You well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. I was kind of hoping that you would be uh, my road dog, my partner headed to Jacksonville, Florida, but I can understand why you're not in any great rush to well, go to a super spreader event with 15,000 strong here in uh, the COVID hotbed, hotbed of, of, of Florida. It w- it would That's what I'm here for, Johnny. Yeah, it would, be, <laughs> it would be a fun road trip. I just feel like I'm not going to get a seat, so I'll pretty much be like your Uber driver. And now that I know that Ray might be coming, 100% he's going to have some smelly equipment. I, I caught that last bid. I'm, oh, uh, gosh. But you want to know something, though? If you do do a road trip with Ray, I feel like you have the GoPro camera in the front windshield, that entire thing. He had, he had some nice lines at the end of that. Uh, the COVID bees nest, that was a pretty good one. That was good. That was, that good. was good. I appreciated yeah. that. Yeah, I did. All right, well, we'll see. We'll get you to an event. I don't even know if I'm going to have my two tickets. I do get two tickets contractually to all of the events that I call, but I don't know how it is going to work this weekend. But uh, <laughs> if you need if you need a way in the building, you let me know. All right, we got four or five picks to make today. So as many of you know, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega is no longer on this fight card. COVID-19 issue on the Volkanovsky side. So we have one title fight. As we sit here on Monday, we don't know what the co-main event is. So we shall see. Will it be O'Malley Almeida? Will it be Luke and Woodley? I don't know. But we got some picks to make. We'll begin, Ian, with William Knight, minus 115, versus Alonzo Menafield, minus 105. This fight initially scheduled for late February, but there was a COVID-19 situation on the Menafield side. William Knight, 9-1. Alonzo Menafield, 9-2. Ian Parker, who do you have? I really like William Knight here. I really do. From the Contender Series into the UFC so far, he keeps getting better and better. And what we're seeing with Menafield is just um, everything Kenny and I talked about that he shouldn't be doing, you know? And the cardio's not getting better. Uh, the power, if he doesn't knock you out in the first few seconds or first minute, you know what the path to victory is here. And seeing OSP even knock him out was kind of a, a crazy situation. I think William Knight has the tools to get this fight to the ground where we know that's where the biggest advantage would be. And he's got the power to knock him out too. We've seen him go three rounds of cardio. To me, this is a steal at, at minus 115. Give me William Knight all day in this one. Canflo William Knight off a big UFC debut on Fight Island. Took Alexa Camerzo back in September. Close fight as far as the betting line is concerned. Canflo, who you got? 
Well, you know, it's not like Menafield isn't capable of winning this fight. He's got a lot of power. He he can definitely land that big shot. There's no question. But, you know, listen, I, I agree with Ian here. I, I think Knight uh, should be able to win this fight. He's got to be careful early in this fight. Um, and as the fight progresses, he has a better and better chance of, of, of winning. So I, I like Knight here as well. That's a prelim fight. Could find its way to pay-per-view. We shall see. Next up for us at lightweight, comma, worthy, minus 145. Jamie Malarkey, plus 125. So Worthy's one seven of 80, and he's 34 years old out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Malarkey, the underdog on the other side, 26 out of Central Coast, Australia. Pretty tough kid, skilled kid, trains under Ross Pearson, or at least his bio says he does. But Malarkey's still in search of his first UFC win. Ian Parker, two easy names to pronounce here. Worthy Malarkey. Who do you have? (laughs) They're adjectives, right? (laughs) They're words. They're actually words. So this should be right in your wheelhouse. Wow. Hey, uh, see you guys later. No, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> it was fun. One and one, I'm out. Um, no, you know what? Marlo- Malarkey is really tough. You know, we, we've seen in his last fight that he could hang in there. He could bang. He could really go the distance. I think for Kama Worthy off that last fight, you know, again, we, it, it's hard when you lose very quickly to see, um, and when you win very quickly to really see. His fight against Luis Pena, in my opinion, was where we saw him at his best. Full three rounds, getting the submission, the striking. I still think Worthy has some juice left in the tank at this age. I hate to say that that's old. It's not old. Just got a late start in the UFC. I, I do like him here. If he can keep the fight standing, I think he's a more technical striker. I do think he has the ability to land on top in a scramble, which I think he'd be the better to be on top in the situation. So I'm not overly confident in this pick. I could see if Kenny goes malarkey, but I'm going to go with comma worthy on this one. Ken Flo, comma worthy, Jamie Malaki. Who do you have? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I like Worthy here as well. I've seen much more of Worthy than I have Malarkey. I, I think Malarkey's got some potential, but um, still a little raw, in my opinion. And, and like Ian said, he he can win uh, for sure, but I think Worthy's experience uh, is the difference here. I, I think he's a little bit more polished as a fighter, and uh, I, I like Worthy here as well. Bunch of Malarkey, both you guys picking. God, I'm yeah. such a fucking dad, right? Such a terrible joke, and now I'm swearing and offending your kids on the back end. Just terrible. All right, I'm going to need a method in a round. What's that, Flo? You got to balance it out. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I actually did a podcast recently, I think, Punch List MMA. Shout out to those good dudes. But uh, before the show, I said, hey, I mean, are we swearing here? Like, And he's like, well, you know, my 10-year-old daughter is actually a big fan of yours. But yeah, you can swear. I'm like, oh, God. So I got to reel it in a little bit. Not today, though, right? Fuck it, Ian, huh? Fuck it, right? All right, next fight. We'll need the round and the method of victory because this could be the co-main event. Sean O'Malley minus 300. Are you not enjoying the festivities today, Ian? Thomas Almeida plus 250. little trivia here off the top. When was Thomas Almeida's last win, Ian? Do you know? Oh, God. Um, November 2016 against Albert Morales. I was going to say, was that before the Cody Garbrandt fight? Yes. Right before, right? Yeah, that was when Almeida was the big prospect, and then Cody sent him to the shadow realm. Yep, I remember. Last time I called a fight that Thomas Almeida won, Vitor Belfort was the headliner in Sao Paulo back in 2015, so it's been a while. On the other side, we have Sean O'Malley coming off a disappointing loss to Cheeto Vera. Otherwise, he had a huge 2020, though. As such, he's a big favorite as usual. Sean O'Malley or Thomas Almeida, Ian, and how do they get it done? And by the way, of course, I'm enjoying the festivities. I just laugh when you talk about how there's a 10-year-old who's a fan of yours. So that what that means is by the end of the show, he or she is cursing and probably reading the high times. 
So, I mean, I'm not, you know, <laughs> right, right. I'm not worried about you cursing, but every time you're like, oh, I'm just fucking stoned. You know, it's that's like, right. I, you're right. right. You're right. It's fair. What 10 year olds watching this show? That's ridiculous. Um, Good for them, though. They're, oh. learning how, they're learning how to smoke. This will be their last episode, unfortunately, if you keep going. So do you have a, do you have a prediction? I, I, I guess that's what I'm here for. I might as well talk about that and not kids with drugs. Um, Yeah, you know what? For me in this fight, this has to be Sean O'Malley in this one. This has to be his bounce-back win. Um, I understand that he thinks he's undefeated still, which is a little mind-boggling. Then again, it could be due to weed. But uh, look, he's got all the skills to still be a top guy. There's no question. Cheeto Barrow just landed those kicks and you know, did some damage and it can happen any fight. We've seen the calf kick be the true telltale of 2020. It's just a damaging thing that guys don't know how to really check properly or defend. And at this point, it's no secret anymore. I think Thomas Almeida, though, unfortunately for him, he keeps losing because he's not changing anything up. You know, when he got to where he was, he was knocking people out. And then once he got stopped by Cody, it's just been a downward spiral for him and no changes. And I'm sure maybe Kenny could shed some light on this. When you lose so many times, if nothing changes, nothing changes. I don't see where he gets better. I don't see how he improves. I think O'Malley has, we didn't see anything uh, that would show me that he's a lesser fighter in his last fight. Sean O'Malley wins this by second round TKO. Last fight for Thomas Almeida against Jonathan Martinez. It was a losing effort 30 to 27 times three in October. Ken Flo, does Almeida have anything for Sean O'Malley this weekend? Or are you going chalky with Sean O'Malley? Listen, I think Almeida has something that perhaps O'Malley doesn't. Um, and, and I'm saying perhaps, but Almeida has proven his toughness. This is a guy who is absolutely willing to go out on his shield. He's as tough as they come. Now, many times our biggest weakness or our biggest strength is our biggest weakness. And I think Almeida sometimes leads with his toughness when he should be leading with his technique. Now, O'Malley is probably the exact opposite. O'Malley is a very technical fighter. He's got the reach as well, and he knows how to use it. If O'Malley fights the way he should uh, and does have an answer to the calf kick, because in my mind, that's the first thing that Almeida is probably going to throw. I mean, it, it, you're fighting a taller, rangier fighter. You don't want to get hit with his rangy strikes. You take out that lead leg. And it usually comes in the form of a calf kick. You got to believe that Almeida is going to use that to his advantage. We'll see if he's able to do it. But I do like O'Malley here. I do think he's the more technical fighter. Almeida just gets hit way too much for my liking. His defense uh, has never been his strong suit. I think that's going to be his undoing here against O'Malley. I like O'Malley. Uh, I'll go third round TKO instead of second round. That's what I was going to do. But uh, let's go third round TKO O'Malley. Third round TKO for Sean O'Malley, the pick to click for Kenneth Florian. And that brings us to a fight that could also be the co-main event. Vicente Luque, modest 260. Tyron Woodley, plus 200. Ken Flo, we'll have you lead us off here. Vicente Luque is 12-2 and two in the UFC with 11 stoppage wins. 12-2 and two in the UFC with 11 stoppage wins for Vicente Luque. I'm not going to say it a third time, but criminally underappreciated. He is starting to get the big fights. Last win against Randy Brown, August 1st of last year for Woodley. His last win came against Darren Till back in 2018. He had the Colby Covington fight rib injury back in September. Ken Flo, what do you think about the former champ Woodley in this spot against Vicente Luque? And ultimately, how do you see it playing out? You know, this may be a kind of do-or-die moment for Tyron Woodley. Uh, I, I think that he, he obviously has had his history with the UFC and kind of having a couple losses in a row now, um, it, it's his back is against the wall. So 
I think he really has to have a, a special performance here against Luque, and that's not going to be easy. Vincente Luque is well-rounded. He's good everywhere. He's a guy that can submit you. He's a guy that can knock you out, and he's got a lot of tools in which to do that. He's not just a, a boxer or, or, or a kicking guy. Uh, he can do a lot of things on the feet. The problem with Luque, though, you know, similar to Almeida, is that he's not so defensively sound, uh, and he does get hit. Now, he's got the chin to back it up, but how many shots like from an overhand right from Woodley can he survive? I don't know. Um, Woodley has a tremendous amount of power when he lets his hands go. Uh, he's also going to be tough for Luke to kind of, you know, it's going to be tough for Luke to put him on his back. But he does have a lot of intel and info, given that Gilbert Burns, one of his one of his closest training partners and friends, uh, you know, just has a win over him. So. You know, um, I think Luke can win. I'm going to go with Woodley here. I think Woodley realizes how big this moment is for him. And uh, I think Woodley at some point does catch Vincente Luque and gets the finish. Uh, Let's go with round two, uh, Tyron Woodley. How about it? Ken Flo goes with T. Wood, the plus 200 dog, round two, knockout or TKO. Ian Parker, the floor is yours. I think Kenny just chose another friend in the co-main. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is my friend. I'll admit that. I'll admit no, that. I know. And listen, I, I and I sponsored Tyrone Woodley in Strike Force. I, I, you know, he's a great guy, and I know John went into his Halloween epic costume. Look, here, here's here here's my issue with Woodley. That overhand right is way too predictable. It's he. It, it's just he. You know when it's coming. So for Luke, if he could not see a telegraph punch, then yeah, he's fine. But here's the deal that we also saw when it came to Woodley. He was taken down way too easily in his last two fights. And Luke is a black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a smart fighter. And also, normally, his biggest weakness is he's willing to get into brawls. And Woodley's not a brawler. Woodley's striking has been, Woodley's striking, sorry, has been very hesitant. And in, with a guy like Luke who could throw the output, who's going to throw those calf kicks and, the, and, and, you know, the inside leg kicks, everything... I just think this is Luke's time. I don't know if Woodley has it anymore. I don't think he really wants it anymore. I think it's maybe to get as much as he can before he leaves. So I'm going to go Luke by decision. Vicente Luque by decision for Ian Parker in what could be the co-main event. Either way, you can see it live on pay-per-view at UFC 260 this weekend. My favorite part of the show is not Ray Longo. I love you, Ray. But my favorite part of the show is when I get championship main event predictions from you guys. And when we have a fight like this that is so close between Francis and Stipe, at least on paper, in terms of the betting line, I am just fascinated to see which direction you guys are going to go in. Francis Ngannou minus one thirty, Stipe Miocic plus one ten. Little backdrop: first meeting January twentieth, two thousand eighteen, Dateline, Boston, Massachusetts. It was Stipe by unanimous decision. Francis, I thought was was tough to survive, um, but didn't really have anything in terms of answers for Stipe on the ground. Last fight overall for Ngannou was. UFC 249, May 9th of last year. And, of course, for Stipe Kenflo, his last three training camps have all been centered around Daniel Cormier. So the last guy that Stipe fought that wasn't named DC was, of course, Francis Ngana. How do you see this fight playing out, Ian Parker, and ultimately who will leave Las Vegas as the UFC's undisputed heavyweight champion? You know, for me, when it comes to Francis, it's still hard to really know what he will do against a strong wrestler like Stipe because when we see him fight Rosenstrike, you go back and look, he just was swinging for the fences in hopes that one of those would hit, backing up his opponent, and eventually one connected, and Rosenstrike died. But it doesn't mean that I've seen, you know, it's he just hasn't fought anyone else like Stipe. And what we saw 
Stipe knows what he has to do. There's no secret here. We don't want to brawl. We want to get the fight to the floor. I still think he can. I think there's, I always find value in the champion as the underdog. And in this situation, I think you have a power striker versus a warrior. I think Stipe is just as tough as they come. We Listen, my issue with Stipe is his chin is not fantastic. He's been dropped way too many times in his UFC career. That we know if Francis does touch that, will he be able to recover in time? That first round's tough because Francis will be at his strongest with his cardio and will be able to defend a takedown here and there. I still think Stipe gets this done. I think he knows what he has to do. I think he's a smart fighter. I like the changes he made in the second fight against DC. You know, um, you know, and I just, um, man, it, I, <laughs> it's hard because Francis is just such a scary guy and that power is unmatched. But I'm going to go Stipe by decision. I think he wrestles him, wrestles him to death here. Kenny, what do you got, kid? So, you know, when I look back and watch some of Francis's fights since the Stipe uh, fight, you know, he hasn't had a lot of them, certainly. Uh, and he wins very quickly. But in the, the manner in which he does it, it, it's still coming down to his physicality. Francis Ngannou is one of the more athletic, one of the more powerful heavyweights that we have ever seen. Um, I think he only needs one shot to win this fight. Uh, that's what makes it so intriguing and so exciting to me. But it's very difficult for me to make a prediction based on just that one shot. And I think Stipe has many more ways to win. I also think that Stipe looked better and better uh, during that fight against Ngannou. He, he was learning as he was going, and I think he's going to feel that much more comfortable in his approach against someone like Francis Ngannou. I, again, you know, the problem is, the hardest thing to learn and the thing that takes the most amount of time is grappling. It takes a lot of sensitivity. You got to make sure you have the best coaches in the world, all those things. It takes a lot of time. Is Francis Ngannou going to be good enough with his wrestling to stop Stipe Miocic at this point in their careers? I don't think so. I think Stipe wins this fight. I even think that Stipe will be able to get a finish. Uh, I'm going to go with third round as well here, TKO. Um, but, uh, Francis is as dangerous as they come. I just, I don't see the same kind of technical approach, uh, from Francis Ngannou that I would like to see. He, he was wild as all get out in his last fight uh, against Rosenstrike. He could have easily been the guy getting knocked out as right, well. Right. You can't just rush forward and throw punches and expect to land them like that. Now against another striker. Hey, you know what? Francis is, is going to be faster and more powerful than anybody. He's willing to take that trade at this point in his career. And maybe that's the right approach. Against someone like Stipe, I don't think it's the right approach. Can he win? Sure. He lands a shot. He could put he could put a bull to sleep. But um, I, yeah. I think Stipe gets the win here. Could you imagine if Stipe adds a second win over Ngannou to this heavyweight legacy as it stands already? Can't wait to see it play out. If you want more content from Ian Parker, hashtag who doesn't. It's at Ian Parker MMA. Hey, thanks, buddy. I know it's been a challenging week for you on a number of different levels, but we appreciate you manning up as you always do and uh, great insight. And knowing that you and Ken Flo are both on Stipe is going to make this a very interesting main event for me to watch uh, Cage Side on Saturday. So have a great week and uh, we will see you soon. Just want to point out that was not my dog barking either. Just want to throw that one out I know. There. See? I don't, I don't want to be... No, no, yeah. no! I can't. I, I uh, can't be blamed for that. I can't be. That's the for mansion that. next door. That's the other mansion across the, the street, it's, right? It's the Florian Foundation. It's the Fountains of Florian. When you walk in, you just get triangle choked on by the gatekeeper. Uh, the yeah. Man. All right, buddy. Hey, thanks. Good we'll dude. talk to you next week. You got it, man. Later. 
All right, today's pick to click is brought to you by Odd Shark, your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Odd Shark and start playing like a shark today. That's oddshark.com. Don't forget the second S. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, big month. Two pay-per-views for the MMA leader. And now joining us from oddshark.com, sports betting analyst Joe Osborne on Twitter at JTFOZ. And paper chaser Joe is just a must-follow on Instagram. Joe, it's good to see you, my man. So uh thought we were going to have two title fights to discuss mm. with you, but Volkanovsky and Ortega has been postponed, at least for now. Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic, Francis holding as a slight favorite in most spots. Kenny and Ian Parker on our show just moments ago both picked Stipe to get it done in the rematch. How do you handicap this main event, and ultimately, do you have a side this weekend? Yeah, absolutely, and it's a side that I feel very strongly about. So you take a look at Francis Ngannou, right? He's got everything you could ever want in a superstar heavyweight. You know, he's got the look. He's got a cool background story. He's got that incredible power that's translated to this incredible highlight reel. But let's not sugarcoat it for a second, guys. He got his ass kicked in that first fight, right? Like he had a few moments early on, connected on a few shots, but in minutes four through five, he basically had nothing for Stipe. And Stipe was incredibly impressive, incredibly well-rounded in that fight. He landed 49 significant strikes. He landed on 73% of attempts too. That right there is very impressive. And he landed six of 14 takedown attempts. So very well-rounded performance from him. Then you look at Francis, uh, his accuracy was awful. He connected on just 18% of significant strike attempts. And check this out. Uh, in runs two through four, he landed six total significant strikes, right? So you take a look at that, that first fight, and then the question to me becomes, how can you possibly warrant making Francis the favorite in this fight after that performance versus the greatest heavyweight of all time. So you know where I'm going with this. I'm on Stipe. I like him quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think Francis is hes the exact same threat coming into this fight as he was going into that fight. You know, once again, he's coming off a string of impressive KO victories. But the big difference this time, Stipe knows the path to victory and he knows how to get there because he's done it before. You know, he's just not going to stand in front of him and let him tee off and go toe-to-toe yeah. with him. That'd be an awful strategy. Of course, the first few minutes of this fight are going to be dangerous. But, you know, the two big takeaways from Francis's performance in that first fight uh, are his cardio wasn't up to par and his takedown defense wasn't very good. So the five fights that he's had since that loss to Stipe, neither has been tested. And that's not necessarily his fault, right? He's coming off four very quick wins. But we have no evidence whatsoever that he can defend the takedown and no evidence whatsoever uh, that his conditioning has improved. So it is a real mystery here, right? We have no evidence of it whatsoever. Um, so I'm all over Stipe here. I yeah. love him quite a bit. You know, will I be shocked if Francis clips him early? No, not really, because that's what he's done. He's one of the best ever at clipping people within like the first couple minutes of a fight, right? But I just think Stipe is way too smart. And he, like I said, he knows the path to victory. He's going to lean on him. He's going to try to tie him up. He's going to try to get him to the ground. 
And then we're going to see where Francis's conditioning is after that. And also, if you're like me, if you're like Kenny, if you're like Ian Duck Parker, and if you like Stipe, I think that uh, I think that also lends itself towards a longer fight. And the over/under for this one sitting there at one and a half rounds with the over uh, minus one thirty-five. I think that's a pretty good spot right there as well. So I like Stipe to retain, fight John Jones in the fall maybe, and wow. uh, the over. Uh, at minus one thirty-five, both both pretty good spots. I don't know how you make Francis a favorite here. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I have said that I feel like he's gonna be the favorite against any man in the world just because of the physicality. But I understand Absolutely. why all sharp opinion that I have solicited, at least to this point early in fight week, has been on the steep side. And yeah, maybe if you want to sweat a little bit less, you go under, or excuse me, over a round and a half, and then you cash sure. your ticket and don't have to uh, to worry about that in Ganu right hand for 25 minutes. Left hand's pretty powerful as well. Um, the one thing we do know in terms of evidence, Kenny, on Francis Ngannou, if you've been following him on Instagram, is that he can take a pretty good body shot. I can't understand for the life of me why this is like good practice. You know, I asked my trainer, and he didn't give me a strong opinion one way or the other. Why does this benefit Francis Ngannou to perpetually take harder shots to the body than he is ever going to experience in a fight? Why is this good for him to be doing? Well, I, I think it's entertaining, right? But also, I, I think for him, I'm sure he's kind of curious. He's like, what happens if I get, you know, uh, maybe a, a smaller guy, but a professional boxer uh, right. who is going to try to hit me in the stomach or another UFC guy who's going to try to hit me in the stomach? It, it, it's both a test of maybe his mental fortitude, his strength, uh, and it also makes it pretty entertaining. Uh, yeah. We're all kind of yeah. waiting for someone to be like, yeah. can Ngannou be hurt? Can, is he yeah. human? Uh, right. but, um, yeah, it's going to be entertaining. I mean, Steepy is going to try on Saturday night. I should do a video of my daughter Tatum hitting me <laughs> in the stomach. We'll see if she can knock me down. So Joe, pretty lean fight card overall. I mean, the pay-per-view is strong. It's going to be interesting to see how promotionally they shake it out now that that Ortega Volkanovsky fight has gone away, but any other bet betting opportunities pique your interest here at UFC 260? Yeah, it's tough to find some good betting spots here, especially uh, early in the week here. There's not a whole lot of props out. Uh, you know, lots of interesting fights, though. You know, Tyron Woodley, is this it for him? You know, he's looked pretty flat in his last couple of performances. Uh, pretty big underdog as a result of that. I don't really have a whole lot of interest there. Sean O'Malley going to try to bounce back against uh, Almeida, whose career is just falling off a, a cliff. Uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. Not a whole lot of value there. Uh, but one pretty good value spot, a pretty interesting light heavyweight fight, uh, Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. And I like Knight, uh, pretty much a pick him here, minus 110. And it's kind of a case of two fighters going in different directions. We're working off small sample sizes here, but that's always the case when you're handicapping MMA. That's what can make it very challenging at times, right? And Menafield's one of these guys the past couple of years. I was wondering, you know, he, he showed some signs. I was like, is this guy going to break through to get into that top 10, top five of the division? And it's starting to look like probably not at this point. You know, two consecutive losses, one decision, one KO against OSP. And the big takeaway in that one is he was outlanded in the significant striking department by 58 total strikes across those fights. And then we take a look at, Knight here, 9-1 and one in his career. He's coming off uh, a pretty impressive win, I thought, versus a previously undefeated fighter. He showed how well-rounded he was in that one. He won the significant strike battle, 38-17, to 17, landed four or five takedowns while stuffing three or four. 
And this is something I always have on my radar. I, I do think that the UFC sees something in this guy a little bit and maybe a guy that they could push a little bit. He's got to do a lot of that work himself and win some right. fights and do it impressively. But, you know, two stints on the Dana White Contender Series, both uh, knockout victories there. So I think that's a pretty good spot there. I'm pretty close to even money. Like I said, two guys going in different directions, but I like Knight in that one quite a bit. Good stuff, Joe Osborne. You can find him at JTFOZ, at Paper Chaser Joe, and at OddsShark.com. Guys and bets still going strong. Always good to see you, my man. You brighten my pay-per-view week, and uh, we will talk to you, uh, I guess, in advance of UFC 261 here next month, my man. Thanks for the time. Guys, I got to get some sun. I don't know if it's a light in here or what, but I'm just looking at you guys with your nice hey. hands. I'm I'm up here in Canada. The snow is finally starting to thaw away, but yeah, I got I got to get some sun. I'll blame it on the lighting in here, though. All right, blame it on the lighting, and I will say that I just went to SeaWorld, and it was really fucking hot. And so that's what you're saying. Okay. So, all right. You got to move south. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much Thanks, for having girl. me thank on. You, buddy. John, good luck on the call Saturday, and uh, good luck to all the listeners as well. Thank you, my man. There he is, Joe Osborne, with us in advance of every UFC pay-per-view event. I still – I got to talk to my guy, Eric Nixick, about these body shots. I think that they have passed the point of no return where there is no longer a benefit to this. And I will say, too, in closing on the Ngannou Stipe front, I think if you're betting the Francis Ngannou side, exercise some patience. See if this sharp opinion right. actually results in a betting line move. And you may also want to wait and find a, a Francis Ngannou knockout prop because I right now – yeah, I mean, and and not a lot of the the betting outlets release these propositions. Like, I can't find a Francis Ngannou by knockout prop out there right now. But if you're betting Francis, you know, maybe you get him plus 130 by knockout, and it's minus sure. 130 on the money line. So I don't know. But we got a big one coming up this weekend. Can't wait to bring it to you live on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. If you want merchandise like the shirt Ken Flo's wearing, you can go to anaflorianpodcast.com. Direct link to the store right there. The promo code is AF10 for 10% off your entire order. Ken Flo's YouTube channel is also linked to our YouTube channel here if you want his instructional videos, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, just all sorts of good stuff. Like instead of watching the NCAA basketball tournament, I should be watching college wrestling and Ken Flo's YouTube channel. I've got to get my shit together, man. I really do. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for watching, for commenting on YouTube. We read every last one of them. At least Ian and Cody do. I can assure you of that. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anik, our producer, Cody Merrow. We will talk to you in less than a week. Until then, don't text and drive. And, uh, you know, may want to put a mask on, Patty. May want to put a mask on, Militich. But uh, it only works if it's above your nose. Love you, buddy. See you all next week. Until then, yo later.